0: 19 years old. Um, I am a sophomore at Howard University. I serve on the National Youth Congress with uh, March for Our Lives, and I also serve as the co-founder and legislative director of the Howard chapter of March for Our Lives, so I'm really excited to be here today.
1: And I'm Ashna. Welcome to this week's episode of Redify Radio. I'm a staff writer for Redify, and I've written pieces about women's right and gun control. So I guess like the first question you can start off is like, why did you become involved with March for Our Lives and how did you become involved with it? too? Yes.
0: So um, growing up in a small town called Peoria, Illinois, I wasn't new to gun violence. I've seen my friends, family members, um, peers get shot due to senseless gun violence, everyday gun violence, community gun violence. And so that's really what started my passion. I participated and the national walkout in 2018, and then when I got to Howard University, I realized that Howard was the only school in DC that did not have a March for Our Lives chapter, and I thought that was very absurd because you know Black people are disproportionately affected by gun violence, so it makes sense to me that we're at the forefront of this movement. And then from there, I got my start in, and you know, I've been doing it ever since.
1: Yeah, that kind of like leads into like the next thing. So I mean this year at the gun violence archive reported that there were like over 130 mass shootings just this year. And I got that statistic like last week, but you know, there's been a couple like this week like FedEx and in Indianapolis. And how have you seen these shootings like impact different groups of people? Cause it does disproportionately impact people of color a lot more.
0: Yes, it does um, disproportionately affect people of color and um, people of color will feel the repercussions the economic repercussions of mass shootings. Um, In our neighborhoods and our communities with over policing a lack of resources and education so it all intertwines gun violence is a very intersectional issue so it breaks my heart seeing all these mass shootings and i hope it continues to not only urge the government to take executive actions but to show other americans who may have opposing views more conservative views that this is an american issue not a partisan issue
1: what, like, sort of executive orders or, like, legislation can the government do that can help specifically or that, like, March for Our Lives is pushing for that can help these, the gun violence that affects the people unfortunately yes.
0: So what March for Our Lives is really pushing right now is for President Biden to appoint a national gun violence um, prevention director. Um, we need someone who's specifically working on gun, gun control, gun violence, doing the research to recognize it as a public health crisis which is something biden said he does recognize it as but he needs to take that extra measure and um remove it from the um tobacco and firearms department and have something where it's just on gun violence alone because we are dying every day and it's costing the economy billions of dollars
1: and how exactly would that process work for him to actually like switch that from the tobacco part to a separate like places itself for gun violence
0: he would have to appoint the position just how he appoints other ones, and it's well within his ability to create a role um, or some sort of sub-department within that um, bigger scheme of things. So it's very feasible for President Biden to do, and that's what my for Lies is really looking for him to do.
1: Has he, like, spoken or talked about any progress he's going to make on that specific front of, like, creating the separate department and appointing someone for that? Unfortunately not. Um he did
0: promote um David Chipman um for the ATFR and he's a great person. I've had the chance to meet him a few times and he's uh, partnered with March for our lives before, but he President Biden hasn't said anything specifically if he's going to, but we are still gonna try to, you know, phone
1: bank and lobby for this to get done.
0: So phone
1: banking, lobbying, what are the other ways that or how how do you guys really push for this legislation? Because it can be Very difficult, it seems like, especially on a national scale to have the president to put out an executive order to stop such an issue as wide as this. How exactly does that work to to work for that legislation?
0: Yeah, so um, it starts like, you know, we have connections with the White House, given the fact that March for Our Lives is um, one of the biggest gun violence prevention movements in history. Um, especially ran by youth, led by youth, and you know we're going to be the ones running this nation. So it's important that you know our voices are heard, and luckily they've you know listened to them and invited us to listening sessions. But what it really looks like is you know creating petitions showing that Americans want something like this created, phone banking, calling your Congress members, your senators, your local officials, and asking them for their opinions and if they would be, support something like this. Um, getting volunteers and things like that is really what it looks like when it comes to local grassroots organizing to get these big things done
1: yeah I remember and I think it was my seventh grade year like we started like that was the year of the Parkland shooting Mm -hmm. and that was like the walkout I mean that was when I like finally or that kind of hit me like this is what's happening because I guess before I didn't really notice it as much And then it was in a school and we like talked about it all of a sudden, like we were at the age, I think where schools were also like, okay, this is something that we're going to talk about because it happened to kids that are like similar ages to you. And that's when I was kind of like, wow. Right. (laughs) Really like, and then it also just feels like, what are we supposed to do when we're all the, like, if we're just younger, like, how can we really help?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes you you know, when you're that young, it makes you feel helpless. Like, you know, you think you'd be safe, like, while just sitting in your classroom with other students getting your education. But in America, that's simply not the case. And that's what we need to work towards changing.
1: Yeah, because I mean, like, in the classrooms now, like, we have, like, Alice drills for school shootings, like, that's become so normalized. But the actual legislation still hasn't, or I guess, on the bigger level, like some of the legislators and people in government don't seem to like understand what's happening is that feel very how does that feel when
0: um you know it's disheartening especially because you know with the capitol riots on january 6th a lot of those school shooter drills and you know hiding underneath your desk your chair going in closets you know that may have been their first time doing something like that and that's something that as americans as students we've had to do every few months just to refresh our memory on what to do because it's so common and mass shootings are happening so often that, you know, we need to have these drills and you would think after a traumatic event such as the Capitol riots and domestic terrorism that it would put it in perspective for some Congress members to realize that this is a bigger issue and that they need to speak out against gun violence and against, um, what I'm not going to get into the
1: politics of Trump but essentially what was going on there too do you think like part of the of them not maybe understanding or is it a lot of like money play a big factor in it or they know what's happening and they just really can't because their hands are tied or how do you think I guess it is like the politics portion of it like all their connections how do you think that plays a role into them supporting bills or not supporting bills too about this issue I think a big factor is maybe
0: Republicans or conservatives feel as if, if they support issues that are seen as democratic, such as universal background checks, although 93% of Americans agree to universal background checks, or to these quote, unquote, more liberal ideals that they'll lose their constituents, when in actuality, it needs to be focused on what's going to save your constituents lives. And that's what gun violence prevention policies do. And so I think politicians need to step up and really speak out against these injustices and work towards, you know, passing these, passing legislation that will actually help. And, you know, there's the whole protect the second amendment and people say that all the time, but they haven't actually looked into these bills and realized that no one is trying to take your second Second amendment right away. And so just the misconstrued media is also a factor and these politicians are allowing it to continue for their own personal agenda.
1: Yeah, I definitely would say a large portion of it is just like lack of not maybe reading what people are actually pushing for when I think on each side, when people have this idea of like the Democrats are saying this, but Republicans are saying this, when in reality the bill seems to fit a lot of what the Americans are thinking. Exactly. It can, it's pretty frustrating, I would say too. Yeah, it is. What are some like the challenges you've seen? I mean, you mentioned a couple of them. But it when pushing for like the specific legislation, such as universal background checks where like 93% of the Americans do agree, but what are some of the challenges to actually get that through?
0: Um, I think the biggest challenge once again is just you know misconstrued media, especially in the era of social media among Generation Z. Anybody can create an infographic and say absolutely anything. And if it's shared widely, then a lot of people are going to believe in it and you know, adopt those ideals because they feel as if they saw it from a quote unquote reliable Instagram account. But in actuality, if you do your resource, it's completely different than what they're saying. And so I think in the era of social media, um, especially, you know, applications like Twitter as well, that false news can form somebody's entire ideology if they don't go and research it themselves. And that's what's causing a lot of divide among Americans.
1: Yeah, I would definitely say social, like things can get shared super, super fast, and it may not be like the true facts. And that Mm -hmm. makes it very difficult, I think, for people to maybe comprehend of everything that goes on. How should people or even younger people in general get started into that research? Because it seems like there's like so much going on and all we see on the news is the actual mass shootings. But how do we start getting into the legislation when reading about what it's actually
0: Um, you know, starting off young, obviously you're not going to want to actually go on the house.gov and read the legislation because obviously some of the wording is going to be a little, um, complicated or just, you know, fancy words, whatever, but, um, it definitely just starts off by simply researching data, like how many, um, mass shootings happening here, what qualifies as a mass shooting, because a lot of things we qualify as a mass shooting. It's not necessarily someone which is an assault, um, with an assault rifle going into a store, it can look like if there's a shooting and more than X amount of people get shot, then that is also considered a mass shooting. And like, what, there's different kinds of mass shootings, and that goes into community gun violence. And then from there, you know, just looking at how that ties into education, how it ties into the economy, and things like that, into health, it's, it's everywhere. And so, just by doing the research yourself like comparing data reliable sources obviously not going to any bias um, pages for the right or the left just trying to find those neutral things where it's simply facts in the opinion so you're able to form those opinions yourself
1: yeah there's a lot of I think terms like this is a really common one I've heard a lot but I haven't I've seen or I've done a little bit of research about it but like the gun show loophole that's used a lot about what people are trying to solve in the legislation. Could you explain a little bit more about that? You said a gun show loophole? Yeah. So essentially the gun show loophole
0: is, you know, if you buy a firearm from a gun show, you don't necessarily have to wait for your registration to get it approved, like for your background check and those things to be completed so you can go to the gun show and buy a weapon of your choice and get it with you that same exact day. And obviously with that loophole that's allowing people to take those guns and then immediately use them and they could be using them from harm. And you know, it ties into what type of guns are being able to be bought at these um, gun shows, you know, military like weapons that Americans, that your average American isn't going to need access to. Um, they're able to go into their into their communities and harm people with these items so that's why the gun show loophole is really important and needs to be closed but yeah you know terminology like that um just lurk you know looking up things like that to make sure that you understand what people are advocating for is
1: key yeah that's definitely a really common one especially because a lot a lot of these past mass shootings have been the person or the perpetrator that got the gun legally somehow and sometimes they had like previous charges i believe in the Colorado shooting that just happened, the person had like a previous assault charge against them or something like that. Right. And they still managed to get the gun legally. Has there also been progress regarding the gun show loophole with the new administration or just in general in Congress?
0: Yeah, um, it was a part of Biden's executive
1: actions. Um, But
0: obviously, it's more than Biden saying that these things are important. We need to advocate for them. It goes into the House and the Senate actually passing these things. And, you know, most things have passed the House already, but new legislation is being drafted to make sure that those things get passed. And within that um, legislation, making sure there's no amendments that would harm communities of color is also really important, because sometimes a lot of these um, common sense gun reform policies include more policing and that's where a lot of advocacy groups come to issue with that because more policing isn't the issue it's investing in these communities so trying to learn what investment looks like is what um, congress and should be really focused on right now
1: so like those amend- amendments you were saying that do legislation that actually ends up har- harming like people of like color in general what are some other like examples like over policing is one have there been others in other legislation um the biggest one is
0: over policing or investing over policing giving more money to the police they think that will also end gun violence which is just also not the answer um and so just putting the money in the wrong places when it really needs to be to grassroots organizations community-based organizations who are in touch with the community, who are able to talk these people out of getting out of gangs and things like that is really what needs, where the money
1: needs to be going. So there also needs to be like a community change too. There can't only be laws changes. There has to be like a different sort of thing inside like infrastructure and things like that in communities.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, infrastructure is so important and it all ties within each other. Like from the small, you know, local NAACP chapter to government um what these people are advocating for do they have the funds to advocate to go in their community whether that's just handing out waters or having something at their local church where they talk about you know gun violence safety and protecting yourself and things of that nature um excuse me it all ties in and it's very intersectional so it's really important that we start at the community base before we start giving funding to big corporations that really won't affect everyday lives.
1: Do you think these big corporations have a very large role in the impact that gun violence has on people and also like the legislation that gets passed in general? Absolutely. Um, You know, the police as an example is they commit gun
0: violence. Um, I feel like sometimes people like to not realize that police violence is gun violence because obviously they are using guns and it goes so much more than that. Gun violence is so much more than just mass shootings. It's suicides. It's domestic abuse. It's your children. It's not locking your guns up safely, and now your children are getting access to them. It's the gun shows. It's the gun trafficking in these neighborhoods and being able to buy them online and, you know, manually create guns as well, and then it only takes like 30 minutes to assemble, then they're able to go into these communities and use them um so yeah it does it goes way beyond police and big corporations do have an influence and impact on that because they're allowing these things or providing the materials for these things to continue
1: yeah definitely gun violence it can seem like well mass shootings are mostly the only thing the news really focuses on because that ends up with the most people that lost their lives but i think a lot of people fail to realize that it's something that happens every day in all communities almost. And it does like disproportionately affect other communities more than more than others. So it's a very, it's a large topic. You also mentioned like intersectional a lot. Can you go into a little bit more about like that like, <laughs> idea? Yeah, so intersectionality, you know,
0: essentially means like, obviously me as a Black Woman, I'm black and I'm also a woman. And for same for people of color, they face a certain level of different oppression. And when it comes to the gun violence movement prevention specifically, um, black women are disproportionately affected, black people in general, and people of color. And so when you're going into that, it look you have to look at racism among your communities, um, redlining districts, not access to food, water, resources, education. Domestic abuse, um, absent fathers because of mass incarceration, all of those things play a factor. And so, until we decide to reform the entire system and work at every single issue, gun violence is still gonna be able to, you know, it's still gonna be a thing. And it's the community everyday gun violence that's really killing people. Mass shootings, although they have been happen- happening more often, they only equate for 5% of all gun violence. Only 5%. People are dying every single minute due to everyday gun violence. And so, you know, with the media addressing this mass shootings and things like that, that's great. That also needs to be addressed, but we need to look within our own communities and realize how can we help these people who are in these toxic environments and gang-related behaviors, and how can we get them out of it?
1: The policing, um, like the funds and things like that has been a large debate too, especially with like police brutality and things like that, and the police violence that they use sometimes, can is gun violence. Have there, or has there been any specific legislation for that that you've worked towards to work with the police department and gun violence together? Um, I wouldn't necessarily work with the police department.
0: Um, I think divesting the money from the police department is something more that March for Our Lives and myself as an activist is focused on not necessarily giving them more funding, but giving more funding to roles such as, you know, mental health specialists and things of that nature to help people in a state of crisis um, is way more important than giving more money to the police because they do have a lot and it's not their lack of resources that is stopping them or is that preventing them from killing people. It's the system And they feel as if they have the right to kill people, which is just not true. And that's not the point of police. They're there to protect and serve. Nowhere does it say they have the right to kill. No one has the right to kill. So, uh, yeah, in short, (laughs) uh, definitely, you know, taking money from the police and putting it to grassroots organizations is something we're passionate about
1: how can we, or just in general, how can the government hold these, the gun industry accountable for what has been happening or even like the police department accountable for what's been happening because their violence is still the violence that happens?
0: Um, I think it, America needs to realize it's more than just reform. It's like redoing the entire system and building something new that has never been seen before and we want it to be successful. We can't keep the same policies, the same infrastructure and structure in place and expect a different outcome. Until we have liberation and radical change, then we're gonna unfortunately still deal with these issues. And so that's what I would encourage um, Congress and just America in general to see that we have to uproot everything, every single aspect of Americans' lives in order to work towards a more equitable
1: system. And this is probably very difficult like, to tell the time of it. Do you think that would probably take like generations for that change in a lot of the aspects to actually occur?
0: Oh, yeah. I don't think it'll happen in our lifetime, unfortunately. Um, I think we've made a lot of change. You know, movement leaders before myself, obviously, have made a lot of change. I'm only 19, so I can't really say I've changed the entire world. But I'm doing what I can. And, you know, there's more activists to come before me um after me to continue pushing but nonetheless it takes us especially our generation getting older being able to run for office and run the country and I think maybe then we'll start to see some more change but even then there's still a lot of work to do among our generation too so constantly going
1: have you looked into um the gun legislation in other countries and the gun violence compared to America also and if they're or any like big changes. I know there's definitely a lot of differences, but if you, um,
0: I haven't specifically um, or directly looked at the gun violence compared to other countries, unfortunately. So I don't necessarily want to speak on it and not give accurate information because I'm a big advocate on what I say being true. But um, it's definitely something I need to look into, and I wouldn't be surprised if America was the number one place for gun violence or in that those top
1: rankings yeah definitely that's like I was looking at the policy or the on the march for our lives like the demands that you guys were that's like listed about like funding which I think you mentioned about making the like a separate gun violence I'm not sure the correct do you say director or yeah director uh, <laughs> to get funding for that specifically and then also like Specifically, there's another loophole you guys mentioned, the boyfriend loophole on the website. Yes. So you
0: kind of almost touched on the boyfriend loophole earlier when you talked about the Colorado shooting. So essentially, what the boyfriend loophole is, if a woman, you know, reports that her boyfriend is domestically abusing her, which is a high um, chance that gun violence is being used, that they're not taking away those guns from those people who have been convicted and, you know, have a history of aggravated assault. And then these men will end up killing their ex-spouses and ex-partners later on. And so with that boyfriend loophole, having them still have access to these guns is an issue because they're killing these women. And, you know, women are disproportionately affected by gun violence. Obviously, intersectional issue, which, you know, I've been mentioning this entire podcast. So that's essentially what the boyfriend loophole is. Okay, thank you.
1: Yeah, I saw that too, and I was looking. It definitely, I understand more a little bit now what you even by intersectional, and that definitely is it's like a feminism issue and also a gun violence issue. There is do you have any other like thoughts or in general just about everything that's been going on over the past year with the multitude of shootings that we've already had and just in general the gun violence every day.
0: Um I think it's been a wake up call for America, you know, you see that even when we were still at home in quarantine there were still shootings going on and they weren't being publicized. But, you know, suicide's rate, suicide rates went up drastically while we were in quarantine. We were stuck home and now America's opening up again. And we thought we were in this new, different world with a new president and everything's looking on the up and up. But no, there's still mass shootings. There's still all of these assault rifles in America that need to be taken away. So there's still a lot more work to do. And I think I hopefully think that this is the wake up call America needed that life isn't just going to go back to normal
1: because that normal we were living in it was not good at all. Do you think that some of the American public or even like police departments are becoming desensitized to what's happening? I remember for the Atlanta shooting it was very obviously targeted at Asian Americans and the police had said like the person was having a bad day. Do you think like the response to all of this happening is just becoming like, yeah, this happens every day and it's okay. Yeah. That's the issue. Because if you look
0: at, you know, 20, 30 years ago when there were these mass shootings, um, they would be on news forever. They would be talked about. Maybe like this is a disgrace, but now they're coming up for excuses on why these things are happening. And there's simply no excuse. A bad day doesn't mean you go out and kill people. And it wasn't because he, just had an, obs- I know they try to say he had a obsession with, obsession with Asians. No, he was racist, yeah. xenophobic. That's simply what it is. Call it what it is. And they know what it is. But then again, I'm not surprised by the police department. I wouldn't expect them to be upfront with this person being racist, because if they did, they would have to realize that their entire system is also racist. So, but they don't want to have that
1: conversation, obviously. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of excuses just kind of thrown around, especially like in school too, we were talking, it was like the Atlanta shooting, it just happened. And then the Colorado shooting was just kind of swept under the rug because mm-hmm. it was like, well, the, I mean, the, it was obviously targeted Asian Americans with Atlanta shooting, but since there were just so many, it was like one of them we focused on a little bit during school and the Colorado shooting was just kind of there. We didn't touch on it whatsoever because it's just very more common now to hear in the news. Yeah, which is very disheartening that that's becoming
0: common topics to discuss in school, that there's so many mass shootings going on. You don't even know which one people are talking about, like, oh, did this one happen in Colorado? Was it Atlanta? Was it
1: in Virginia? Like, that sucks. <laughs> that literally it sucks. Yeah, it's it's just, it's very irritating sometimes to hear, like, yeah, the excuse of, like, he's having a bad day when it's so obviously targeted at a specific community. Mm-hmm and making those like yeah just not just call it as it is like racist like it's not there's no other word really for that right no matter how much you want to say it thank you so much for like joining and like answering my dm and everything of course um